Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Before we get going, I want to take a moment to tell you about some exciting news for high school sports fans across the country. SB Live Sports has launched a free iPhone and Android app featuring the latest high school sports news, scores, videos, polls, photos, podcasts, player rankings, and much more. With the SB Live Sports app, it is now even easier to follow your favorite team. With real-time scores and news alerts, as well as video highlights, podcasts, photo galleries, rankings, game coverage, and much more. The app delivers all the content you want in one convenient place. The SB Live Sports app features exclusive content from on-the-ground reporters across the country, and it's the number one source for Washington high school sports fans. With coverage from reporters Todd Millis and Andy Bueller, me, Dan Dickow, SB Live's recruiting expert, this SB Live Sports app is available at no charge in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Download it today. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. Well, I mean, I've seen Dan Dicko hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to today's episode of The ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. Conversations in the world of sports with experts, usually basketball. Today's one of, if not the best, player development coach in the basketball industry. Met him years ago when I was a counselor at the Nike All-American camp, which unfortunately is no longer. Uh, It's kind of changed into the EYBL as well as some specific uh, positional camps um, over the last few years. Uh, We've connected paths over the years during many stops along the NBA. As mentioned, one of the best player development guys out there, Mike Procopio. Mike, how, how are things and how is your Endeavor Hoop Consultants going? Danny, great to be here, man, and, and uh, it, it's going good. It's going well. Like, um, I transitioned from being in the NBA for a while to, you know, to now running the company. I've done this company for a long time, but I sort of dabbled in it. Now I'm doing it full time. It's it's been cool being able to like share stories and talk and and just sort of share insight and experience with you know players and coaches from all over the world and scout people who want to get in scouting. So. It's been a pretty good, it's, you know, it's funny. You never think about sharing your experience and being a veteran in this thing and, and helping younger coaches and players and things, but it's been pretty cool. 
So let's let's hear a little bit more about Hoop Consultants. Obviously, that's your main deal now. Um, before we press record, you were sharing how you're kind of a, a tremendous resource for players, coaches, scouts at, at at the professional level, but I can only imagine also at the college level of helping them maximize their skills and their talents, whether they're a player or a coach, or just as a scout evaluating things. How, how do you uh, how do you impact uh, people in those different roles and aspects of the game? Right. So we deal with any players and coaches and scouts from the high school level all the way to the professional level. And the way I, I really wanted to do it is basically, you know, sh- like have have them share what they're trying to do and, and what they're trying to accomplish. There's so much done in development, especially with players, as far as just on the court, on the court, on the court, working with trainers, working with trainers. What I want to do is share my experiences with players to set up their whole player development program. So if they're working with a trainer, obviously I'm not going to be working with most of the players that I, I consult. So they'll like, I have a trainer. Here's what I'm trying to get to. Here's some of my film what do you think? And then we'll try to sort of set them on a path. Like, look, in your skill set, in your position, here's what your trainer should be working you with. Here's the best way to sort of, expo- you know, give yourself exposure to colleges. Here's where, here's sort of like the the development model that you should be following and, and, and get insight from someone like me who's, you know, not really invested in it in the sense that, you know, I just want to give them the best sort of path and dealing with all types of players for the last 26 years. That's sort of what I want to do. Now, as far as the coach is concerned, like I've been in player development for 26 years. I've, I've you know, was a director of player development with the Mavericks for six years and dealing with anyone from like the NBA level. I just didn't deal with elite players. Most of the players that I dealt with were late draft, undrafted players. And we had to sort of figure out a program to get them to at least their second contract. And, and that was my goal for every player that I worked with. And every player had a sort of specific program they needed to follow. So the coaches that I work with, it's mostly on the player development side. And, and a lot of them will come to me with some issues. Like I need to have more presence with players. Um, you know, I'm not really good at guard development. I'm usually a big man coach, but the new job that I took, I have to work with more guards and perimeter oriented things. So it's, it's drills, yes, but it's a lot of the correction side it's a lot of how do you approach player development? How do you sort of, you know, start the player and, and sort of finish it in a three or four year period if you're a high school or college coach or in the professional ranks, sort of how to deal with certain situations. And in the scouting side, I was, a, you know, I was a scout for the Celtics for four years. I've done a lot of draft prep work, you know, you know, talking a lot of GMs, talking a lot of scouts and being able to evaluate players. And, and I was taught by a lot of good people. So as far as like a high school scout or a college scout, the biggest thing for me, especially if you're going to take a college job at a low major, mid-major, like a lot of these guys, they're not Duke, they're not Gonzaga. They don't have the sort of the best players wanting to play for them every year. So the biggest part, I think, in basketball, I don't care what level you are to try to sort of build your program is by you got to be able to evaluate talent, especially, you know, especially if you don't have a lot of the resources a lot of these schools do. And not only do you have to evaluate talent and get those diamonds in the rough in your recruiting sense, but you have to know how to develop them. So, you know, a lot of the good coaches that I worked with, you know, over the years were able to, especially the mentored me, were able to go into a gym. Didn't, they didn't have a scouting service or anything that, that they could just say, okay, all these schools in my league are recruiting this kid. I got to recruit this kid. They were able to sort of pick players up out of an AU tournament or a, 
a showcase and say, I don't care who's recruiting that kid. I know how to evaluate. This guy's going to help me. And now I know how to develop him. And I think that those two bookends, if you're trying to be a coach, especially in college and starting like a division three or division two level, or even division one or professional, you got to be able to sort of pick those players out. And I've learned with some of the best, you know, people like Danny Ainge, Tate's Locker, Herb Livesey, guys like that sort of molded me, you know, as far as how to evaluate talent and knowing how to evaluate and develop is probably, you know, the two best skills you could have as a coach. I love how you talk about evaluate and then develop that talent. Uh, there's obviously different um, philosophies on how to develop talent. Yeah. Um, there's, I call them clown trainers <laughs> that have, will throw out, you know, 50 different uh, accessories or cones and, and working things that aren't game specific. Now, I remember conversations or workouts that, that I've had with you in the past. They were very fundamental based and very uh, situational based. Give, give, me, give us a quick breakdown of, of how you structure a workout uh, mm -hmm. and what is important within that workout. Well, I think it depends on what position you play, of course. So if I was working you out, Danny, right? Like we'll go back in time to 2002, like you're a college guy at Gonzaga. You're just trying to sort of, you know, if I was working you out for the draft or just working you out as you're going back to school, what I would like to say is, okay, first of all, the point guard position. So what's important for a point guard? So for me, being able to, you know, spot up shoot from 15, 17 feet, you know, work yourself out to three-point win. I like to start close to the basket. First, we'll start with some finishes, you know, around the basket. You know, at any position, you know, at any level of basketball now, it's sort of like getting in the red zone when you get in the paint. It's like being in the red zone in football. You've got to be able to convert. Finishing is such an important part of the game. So just working on the mental side of finishing, just sort of being around the basket, right hand, left hand, using the glass, not using the glass, floater, weak hand development, which is a, such an important part of the game. But then getting your spot shooting 15 foot, 17 foot, move out to three a little bit once you're comfortable. You know, the one dribble pull up, the two dribble pull up, because in pick and roll or or spot up, especially if you're off the ball, being able to catch the ball, if somebody flies by you and gets you off the three point line, you're going to have to be able to go one or two dribbles, you know, right or left to pull up. You know, the footwork of that, you know, that's a big thing in young players where they split their feet a lot when they catch and go, you know, from the perimeter where they're traveling, where you know, you're driving off one foot, but you pick up both feet to gallop to get that extra step. So teaching players sort of the mental side of, look, you got to get that back foot down. I'm a permanent pivot foot believer. So, you know, for a righty, I like to have everybody do things as a righty off their right foot, left foot down. And as a lefty, I want them to sort of create off that one foot. Now, not to say they won't be able to use that other foot, but having sort of a fundamental baseline of, look, look, here's what your footwork's going to look like you know, pin downs, because you're going to be doing some stuff off the ball. I watch a lot of Steph Curry and, is, you know, as unbelievable as Steph Curry is on the ball and his ability to make 30-foot shots, his off-the-ball game, you know, giving it up early in pick and rolls and then coming off a pin down on the other side, cuts off the ball. So working on some off-the-ball things, coming off pin downs, catch and shoot, you know, different reads on you know, pin downs, one dribble pull up, two dribble pull up off that, finishes off that, you know, and then get into some of the pick and roll reads. You know, um, you know, step up, pick and rolls, you know, side, you know, uh, going in the middle. Uh, the floater game such an important part of the game as well. So talking about the floater. Um, so trying to get about five or six different things a point guard would do into a workout 
and then and try to compact that into a 45 minute to an hour session. And again, you know, the biggest thing I think, Dan, in a workout is not the drills that you do. It's how to correct, you know, stop and correct. I remember when I was in Boston, um, in Dallas, we have we had one of the biggest intern programs in the NBA in player development. We spent about one hundred fifty thousand a year hiring about twelve people. And what why I came to that is I was I remember out two two sessions when I was in Miami um, pregame, and I love to get to you know games early to watch what guys do. I was watching Ray Allen shoot, and it, and it didn't have to be Ray Allen, but you know Ray Allen was there. It was about three hours before the game. He's getting shots up, and the coach, which Miami does the best, one of the best jobs in player development of any team in the league. Like the coach was never watching Ray, and not that you had to, but I'm talking, I'm, you know, saying to myself, look, like I think with coaches, and you watch any coach work a player out, and they're passing or they're rebounding or playing D, the eyes are almost never on the player. So for Ray Allen, you don't have to worry about it, but for most players, you do have to worry about it. Footwork, balance. Uh, could be shot. It could be shot technique, but then their eyes are never there. And and I think if you want to be good in player development, your eyes will always have to be focused on the player to be able to you know correct. You'll stop, correct, and move on. Like not correct where you're going to talk to the guy for nine minutes making a correction, but like stop being able to communicate what you're trying to do in 30 seconds, 15 seconds or less, and then move on to the next thing. And I remember we were in Denver and Will Barton was working out before a game, and you know, and Will Barton was like blatantly traveling on his catch and goes, the split in the feet thing that we talked about. And I talked to another assistant. I'm like, and I never comment on another coach's work. But I'm like, this guy's traveling and traveling and traveling. And, and no one said anything. Well, we play, you know, played that night. We were up like one with like a minute and a half, two minutes to go. What do you think happens? Will Barton <laughs> gets the ball. He travels. Then I just like do this. I think it was like Don Cox, you know, sports psychologist. And, it went, and I just like had him on the knee. Because if you don't correct and you don't stop and correct, they're just going to continue to do a bad habit. So I think it's not really the drills that you do, Dan, but like have an actual plan of, okay, these are the things that I think are important. But then when we work out in a workout, stop in and correct. And when you make a mistake, not just continue to do these drills because they look good and it's a good pace. It's actually work on skill specific things that you're going to do in a game. And then also correct when, you know, you need to make a correction. I think that most of the players today, like you said, the clown trainers and things like that, they, they sensationalize the game where they want to work on everything James Harden does, Greek Freak does, you know, Steph does, um, Luca does. And the problem is 80% of the players that are playing this game are role players. And they never do. They work on 98% of the, you know, thing, 90 to 95% of the things they work on. They do 1% of the time. So I think that you got to have that shift where you're working about 90, 95% of the you know, things that they're going to be doing hundred percent of the time, you know, and, and I, and I spend a lot of time on just sort of developing a skill set, you know, one or two things that you'll do in a game and then sort of building up from there. Have you ever had a pair of sunglasses that you've lost and become frustrated? You lost them that were scratched or, just quite frankly, didn't fit very well. Well, look no more. Canon sunglasses are the best. I repeat, the best. You will not be disappointed in Canon sunglasses. They are made exclusively with polarized lenses for optimal clarity. They're made to be clearer, lighter, and stronger. 
There are also Italian handcrafted frames that are impossible to scratch. So you add the lenses and the frames to create a powerful sunglass combo. Use the exclusive code KANONCAST15 at KANON.com to receive 15% off your first pair. That's K-A-E-N-O-N-C-A-S-T-1-5. KANON, clearly better. You know, I don't think a lot of people truly understand the role of a player development coach at the NBA level. They probably think, you know, you're you're at the arena a couple hours before the game and, and you're just putting them through a, a simple basic workout. Yes, you kind of walked us through simple basic workout to cover the footwork, to cover the floaters, to cover the fundamentals. But how much preparation do you have amongst the coaching staff in developing – uh, what needs to be worked on for each of these players? Well, Dan, it, it takes hours, hours and hours a month where you're talking to your coaches. Like the biggest thing is the head coach is always the director of player development because A, they control the minutes. I don't care if you think the coach is good. You don't, you, you don't think they're good. If you agree with the coach, you don't agree with the coach. The head coach needs to be pleased with what the play, what a specific player is doing to develop sort of a trust in that player, especially a young one. So you're going to have to communicate with the head coach and you're going to have to say, coach, what do you, what do you want specifically player A, player B and player C to be able to do to get on the floor for you? And then obviously, you know, sort of the coach that you work for, for the most part, and you know what they're going to want to do. And with, you know, working for Rick Carlisle, I knew that like he wanted players to be able to do specific, like simple things. You know, the biggest thing, Dan, that the problem, I think, especially with college coaches, the pros, pros especially, every player that we got draft or undrafted, they were the LeBron James of the team. They were asked to do 30 different things. They took 20 shots a game. Every play was called for them. They were the best player in their team, and they were called upon to do everything. Well, when you get to a Dallas situation, and then you have Dirk Nowinski, Harrison Barnes, you got Wes Matthews, you've got Luka Doncic. When you get into a game, you're going to be the fourth or fifth option every time you're on the floor. So, you know, you're not going to be handling the ball a lot in most situations. You're not going to be – there's not going to be many plays called to you. So you're going to have to do, like, be able to play off the ball, do other things that it might be, you know, from doing all those things you did in college to be able to just make a corner three-point shot or cut off the ball or cut off the post, you know, and just play defense and screen and do things like that. It's a really hard transition for the player. But again, getting that from the coaching staff as far as what they need you to do and then communicate that to the player and say, look, here's our plan of what we're doing with you because my job for the player is to look, we're trying to get you to year five. We're not, you know, and this is what's going to take. It it might not be, you know, it's going to be a slow climb in most cases. And that's our job. So many players fizzle out by year three and they're out of the league because they try to do too much or they don't want to listen or they don't really have a role. I want to get that from the head coach. I want to communicate that to the player. And then in between, Dan, as this thing changes, you got to constantly talk to the coaches about what is this player doing or not doing that's making you happy or not so I could communicate that. So many times I would be in coaches' meetings at any stop in my career, and it's the same thing. Well, Johnny doesn't roll, and my, my hand will go up. I go, 
well, did anyone tell Johnny he's not rolling? Well, no, he's supposed to know. I go, no, 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 no. Our job is to give him the answer to the test. That's what we're doing. We're trying to give him the answers to every quiz and test. So if he doesn't roll, I need to know so I can communicate that with him. And, you know, I was very lucky to be able to, to learn from some good people. One of the best I've ever learned from is our sports psychologist. His name was Don Coxstein. So what we did in Dallas, Dan, is we got a program not only on the floor, but off the floor. Our biggest thing is we need to have these guys invested in being a professional. So we set a lot of guidelines about, um, you know, players having to be early to everything. So like any practice that they were at, you know, if we had a 10 o'clock practice, they had to be there 90 minutes before practice started that first minute of practice. So if it was a 10 o'clock practice, they had to be in the gym by nine, you know, eight 30 in the morning. And we did this because we wanted them to a be early B we wanted our coaches that were walking through the locker room and walking through our facility to see, you know, Dan Dickow at his locker or eating breakfast or, you know, getting shots up at nine, nine 15. Like, wow, this guy's early. This is great. So we wanted them to invest in being a pro that way. We wanted them to, well, when they got their 90 minutes to get their breakfast and to work with the, you know, physical therapist, to work with the trainer, to work with the strength coach, get shots up, watch film with the coaching staff. You know, we did things like they had to memorize everybody in our travel party's name by the second month, you know, things like that. And then our biggest part of things besides those things are, you know, we had player development meetings with our players when we got on the road. So like, first night of every road trip. So it doesn't matter if it was a, a one game trip or an eight game trip. We would like, if we were going to Boston the night before we get off the plane, we get, you know, we leave around two 45 that day, get to the probably hotel by five 36, every player in our player development program, which we define player development as players in the first three years of their career, they'd have to come and they would meet with us individually, the coach, uh, just myself, Don Coxstein, and the player. And we would talk to him for 15 minutes and like, Hey, Danny, how, how are things going? You know, you know, things going good for you. What are you, what are you struggling with? What, what are your problems? Do you have problems with coaches and the staff, which none of that would ever leave the room. Yeah. We wouldn't, we would want to know and give them feedback of what the coaches are telling us, what the coaches were saying in those meetings that they're not doing, what they like that they're doing, how to sort of help them get more time. And there was a great back and forth conversations that we would have and it would stay on top of the player. You know, in the problem with player development, Danny, is a lot of coaches think it's all right, my two hour, my hour that I spend with the player in our workouts and then our practice time. And then, all right, I'll see you tomorrow. And it's a lot of communication. It's a lot of talk. It's a lot of ups and downs, having really truthful conversations with the player. And that that sort of went a long way. Any meeting that we would have on the road, like if we had like a 10 o'clock and nine o'clock film session. They would have to be downstairs an hour before. And if they if they ever broke this time, instead of 90 minutes, they showed up 84 minutes before, we would fine them 2,500 bucks, which was the, the maximum fine you could have for a player. We want them, because then most of the time, you know this, you're going to be developing them for yourself, for your team, or for another team. Mm-hmm. Most of these players aren't going to be with you for a long time. So we want them to, if they go to their next team, which once you start getting traded and cut, like it's a downward spiral because like, all right, Dallas drafts, you, you get like, you know, you know, you, you contracts for like four years, but like after year two, if you go and you go to the New York Knicks, well, the New York Knicks didn't draft you. They didn't tra- trade. They traded for you. A lot of times you're going to be throw-ins in these trades where they're not going to really like, all right, if, if Dan works out, he 
works out great. But if not, we've already got three players in this position that we drafted and invested all this time in. He's just sort of a throw-in in this. And that's where the downhill spiral comes in. We wanted them to have a professional mindset of not only getting there early, getting their work in, knowing how to, you know, like, you know, talk to coaches about film, how to communicate to coaches, sort of be a professional in, you know, in their mindset. So when they go to another team, they, they already have this professional mindset. When they go to the Knicks, they're not like having to like knock on their door to pick them up in the morning. Like, oh, do you oversleep? No, they know that they got to be there early. So we wanted to, you know, get this mindset with them in their first three years. So that could be by year 10. Maybe they're not coming to practice in year 10, 90 minutes early, but maybe they're 60 minutes early or maybe they're 45 minutes early. But they know early, late how to communicate what, you know, what, you know, what work really is. So like before I got to the Mavericks, I worked for Kobe Bryant for four years and I was his personal scout. We would talk every day about preparation. But in that time, I would ask him a lot of questions. Like, look, in, in most trainers that would work with a Kobe Bryant would try to work out every player like they're Kobe Bryant. And I knew that I would never work out any player like Kobe Bryant because he's one of the best players that ever played. But what I could take from Kobe is his, you know, his investment of being a professional. And every player I work with, I don't care if they're Luka Doncic to Johnny Doncic and anything in between, that I could teach them how to be a professional, what being really invested in the game really was. So that was our plan in player development, Dan, in Dallas, like not only getting on the court, because a lot of times I wouldn't work out most of our players. I would have a God sham God. I would have a Peter Patton. I would have a lot of really good skill development coaches that I would just sort of say, hey, look, here are the three things. Do whatever you need to do. But here are the three things coach really needs them to do. You know, and that's that that's important to their development. So I'd work with a bunch of players, but then being able to just communicate, walk around, talk, watch and continuously just watch those players in the first three years of their development to be able to make sure they make it to at least their second contract. Yeah, I I love that breakdown. And it it sparks a lot of memories for me in my early part of my career because I was traded a number of times, but I I was taught uh, at the college at the college level at Gonzaga that you show up early, you're prepared, you do your work, uh, you're always staying prepared and ready for when your opportunity came. And my opportunity really as a professional didn't come until about two and a half years in. But had I not had that foundation of working every single day and being prepared, I would not have been ready for when I finally had consistent minute opportunities to, to make the most and extend and get to, as you mentioned, you know, a second contract and the ability to extend your career. And so, so many of those things you touch on, um, you know, brought back some really good and prideful memories for me. I want to stay on the topic of, of your work with Kobe, um, mm-hmm. because I've read a couple articles here and there uh, about you and, and how you helped Kobe. Uh, share with us really quickly, was it breaking down film? Was it phone conversations? Was it scouting reports? on guys that he was going to face or teams that he was going to face in the very near future. What was that work like? So it started out as one team, the Houston Rockets. It started out, there was a a New York times article written by Michael Lewis who wrote Moneyball about how Daryl Morey and and the the Houston Rockets would get ready for Kobe Bryant and Daryl being the grandfather of analytics in the NBA sort of like would give Shane Batty the scouting report on how to defend Kobe. And mostly it was just forcing him to tough shots. So, you know, he, you know, Kobe still did well against them, but they were, he was a lot less efficient against Houston than he was any other team that he faced. So 
I remember I was with Kevin McHale just visiting for a week uh, when he was coaching Minnesota and we would go, you know, just spending the week with them. I got a, I was working for Tim Grover at the time. So Tim called me, he was working with Kobe and said, Hey, look, Kobe's going to be calling you. Did you read this article on him? I said, yeah, for sure. And he goes, well, he's going to be calling you because he was inquisitive about, you know, what's going on. So I get an email from Kobe and say, look, this is, this is the deal. Can you help me with this? Can you do some background about, you know, the teams that scout me as far as what they think my weaknesses are. So I could sort of attack that. I'm like, yeah, that's great. So I asked a bunch of people, they started giving me, and you know, this in basketball, Dan, like the coaches started in scouts started giving me the same answer. Oh, just forcing them into tough shots, but it wasn't really specific. And I knew from being around all the types of players I've been around and, and sort of knowing how to read players. I know if I came with them with an answer like that, I would never hear from him again. And I didn't think I was going to be working for him. I just said, look, if, if, you know, if this guy's going to ask me this question, I'm going to give him an answer. So I started diving into some film. I watched about seven or eight games that they played the last seven or eight games that he played against Houston, how they played them, you know, what their plan was, how, what types of shots he's taken. And then it started morphing into, well, what wasn't he doing? You know, what was he doing like that? He could be more efficient. Is he using his teammates in certain situations? And just like anything else, he's such a competitive guy. He would take a lot of tough shots. He would take like, they would funnel him into Yao Ming. So they wanted, you know, Batty, any shot he took, Batty had a hand in his face, you know, didn't leave his feet very, you know, one of the best defenders I've ever seen and forced Kobe into tough contested shots, would want him to put the ball on the floor. If he tried to finish, he had Yao Ming right there and he was such a tough, fit, you know, tough guy to finish over, obviously. So, you know, Kobe would take all these tough shots. You'd have Pau Gasol there waiting. They have Trevor Ariza, which wasn't a great player, but Trevor could do some things on the right side in the corner, which, you know, they, they, they sent four defenders on him when he drove and he would just take these tough shots contested in the air. So I gave him like this three, like four or five page scouting report. And it was basically, okay, here's what they're doing. They're funneling you Yao, into Yao. They're, you know, they're, you know, forcing you into contested shots and you're playing in that plan because that's what you do. I said, look, you need to get Yao Ming to move his feet. You need to have, when you drive and Yao meets you at the rim, you, you need to have Pau Gasol sort of, right around like that 15 to 17 foot range, that elbow jump shot on your side to be able to kick to him. Easy shot for Powell, but also it's going to force Yao into a rotation, which Powell could just drive right by him. And another guy that you're really not using, utilizing is, is Trevor Reza. Trevor's not a good isolation player, but when everybody rotates, you know, to you, he's a good corner three-point shooter. When he's squatted, squatted up, he can cut, he can straight line drive. You need to use him better. So, you know, I sort of thought to myself, look, like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to need to tell him the truth. So I sent him this report. He goes, I got it. I watched the game. And, and the biggest thing, again, was Yao Ming can't move his feet. So if he's meeting you at the rim, he could be a big factor, obviously. But if he steps out and you try to shoot over him, you're doing yourself a disservice. Whenever he steps away from the pain area, you need to move him right to left. He's got cinder blocks for legs, can't move. So... That game, I think he had like 36, but about 90 seconds left in the game. You know, our test was guarding him, doing a hell of a job of defending him. Yao Ming steps up on either a pick and roll or an isolation. And instead of shooting over him, he just go crosses over, gets to the basket, no problem. So after that, after that, I'm like, all right, I'm never gonna hear from the guy again. That's cool. You know, you know, mission, you know, mission accomplished. 
like 90 seconds after he gets interviewed, you know, courtside, I get a text because I got San Antonio tomorrow. I want the same thing. So in that report, like I gave him this, like, like everybody, like the person who's defending him the, in the backup in the backups backup. And then also who he's guarding strengths, weaknesses, film. So I gave him this big package of things. And so basically Dan, every opponent, I would know who's guarding him, who is the backup. And then the third, that third player that might be able to come in video on their strengths, video on their weaknesses, the report, what plays they run to them, their weaknesses in their defensive rotation. And then I would give him a, a basically a report on his play. So before games, so say he played the Celtics on a Thursday night, Thursday morning by 7 a.m. his time. I was in Chicago. He was, you know, obviously in L.A. He'd have a detailed report. He'd have his film. He'd have what I think he should be looking at and how to utilize his teammates. It might be a mismatch, uh, Pau Gasol, uh, you know, uh, Lamar Odom. Someone might have a mismatch and he needs to sort of give them early and get them going. So we would have this. He would get that. And then after shoot around, we'd ha start having our text back or email back and forth about, okay, you know, I like what you did here, but I don't agree with this. Why do you come to that conclusion? Um, you know, what, what other plays they run? Hey, I need this film on this guy's game five months ago. So, you know, I would be, we'd basically go back and forth. He'd play the game and probably up to about 90 minutes before game time, we would talk maybe an hour before game time. And then like after the game, I'd give him his report, I'd give him his film. And then we'd start talking about the game and then talking about things he did well, things he didn't do well. And then that was basically four years of doing that. Sometimes, you know, he'd call upon, I have to go to LA to work him out on certain things. We'd talk about stuff, film, and we'd, we'd have a good back and forth about the game. Not only his games, but like the league in, itself, how he prepared. We'd have a lot of talks about like his development as a player. So it was pretty cool. It was basically a basketball internship for me to, to learn from one of the best competitors I've ever seen. That's unbelievable. The detail and, and the kind of insight that he would kind of dive into to give himself any advantage. Uh, and you, you couple that with his extreme skill and his athletic ability and his competitive drive. It, there's no, there's no uh, kind of reason why he wasn't one of the greatest players of all time. It's, it's pretty cool to see. Last question, Mike, before I let you go, you're, you're entrenched in the league. You've mm -hmm. seen kind of the evolution of, isolation games to pick and rolls to spacing of the floor and attacking mm -hmm. when you look at this next and new young generation of players who stands out to you because of their skill their understanding of the game their iq their leadership if you were going to build a team right now who would you take or maybe what two guys would you take you'd have to start with luka Doncic, and i'll tell you why it's the same it's the kobe effect right most players either have a great physical package where they look like they've got it right, like six six two guard or what have you, you know, chiseled, has all this. Then there's a skill component where you could actually perform these skills in game, right, where you could actually do the things, catch and shoot, drive it, finish, you know, defend, all, this, all, all of those things. And then there's the competitiveness, like drive to be competitive, hate your opponent, really competitive will do anything to win. You know, any little thing that you need to do during a game, you'll do it. Bite, claw, fight, that's what you'll do. And then there's the basketball IQ part of it. Knowing how to pass, knowing how to, knowing, knowing when you put two to the ball, knowing how to give to your teammate, 
you know, where you can you know, get your stuff going, but also give to other teammates and knowing how to do that. If you have those four factors, you're going to be a hell of a player. And with Luca, with his age, with his skill level, with his IQ, which IQ wise, besides maybe LeBron James and, and, and Ray John Rondo, I don't see another guy with more of a basketball intellect than Luca understanding the game and all those things together. And I think it's almost an unstoppable type of player that you would want, you know, sort of going forward, you know, Hey, but like, I'll tell you what, I, I sort of started diving in on the last month or so. So the guy you guys signed, Chet Holmgren, right. What do you think about him? You know, I, I have, I haven't seen a full game. I've seen skills um, yeah. in highlights and his feel is really good as far as timing defensively. Um, when to commit to a block shot, when to kind of just put the fear in the opponent that he's going to go and yeah. kind of rush a guy. Um, he can shoot it. He can handle it. Um, my my view is that he plays the right way. I actually interviewed Paul Biancardi the other day. Yeah, I saw um, that. Mm -hmm. and, and Paul had Paul sees these guys at all phases of their development, right? Mm -hmm. And he raves about him, talking about all the things that you mentioned. Competitiveness, plays with an edge. IQ and skill set. Um, the, the question right now is, is he going to get bigger? Is he going to get stronger? Um, which obviously you think he's going to because he's only 18 years old, but I think his upside is tremendous. Yeah. So the big part about the big part about development that I, I was taught by Herb Livesey, who, you know, ran the Nike All-American camp, you know, workouts when you, when you went as a counselor, he always told me, because he was a scout for the Portland Trailblazers, and he would, he would sort of send me, like assignments early, like, Hey, would you, you have this player who's, you know, you could re-sign him for two years at 10 million, or you can draft this player and sort of teaching me not only development, but evaluation and sort of some front office stuff. But like when he's taught me about players and you say, well, he's too skinny or this and that he goes, well, you got the books of guys that weren't ready physically to compete in the NBA level early on that just built it up because they, they got into an NBA strength program, a college strength program. Um, with him, the only, like he, he's one of the most skilled players I've ever seen. But where he'll run into it, he reminds me of a Porzingis on steroids. He reminds me of a seven-footer who can move, who can drive it, who can score it. He shoots better than Porzingis, and he handles it better than Porzingis. You know, it seems like he's got a deeper range. He can do it off the dribble. The physical part is where I would worry about him because of his legs, you know, being so skinny. But I'll tell you what, like, you know, he looks a little like, a, you know, like a freak show. He's seven foot, can do what he can do. But then you watch him play, and then that edge that he has, he likes the contact. Um, he likes the competitiveness. He, he's an interesting player. I just wanted your sort of, you know, take from that. But with skill level with him and this is where young players Dan that's better than the game's never been better more skilled it's never been a more skilled game in our lives as far as what players can do at this early age the shooting the range that they shoot from the ability to put the ball on the floor at almost every position the problem where they come in is trying to do too much trying to do too much isolation trying to you know the shot selection which is a big part of player development Dan knowing what shots you should be able to take and not take. You got to talk about analytics. You got to understand analytics as far as, look, I'm not a huge believer in analytics, but they do break down as far as the importance of taking good shots and the value of a possession. 
And I think when you're teaching young players about, like I always, like with Kobe, it was the same thing before the analytic thing came in and said, hey, look, I know you're going to take your isolation shots, you're going to take tough shots. And this is what any player I would talk to about. I said, look, in the, in the flow of the game, first three quarters, early shot clock, you should take as many uncontested or marginally contested shots as you can. When the shot clock comes down to like five or game clock comes down to like last eight seconds, that's where you're going to take your toughest shots. So I understand taking tough contested shots there. But if you can maximize the flow of the game, early game, early shot clock to take as many good shots as you can, I think that's a, that, that's a huge advantage to young players understanding shot selection. What's a good shot? What's a four shot? What four shots you should be taking and what four shots so you should be sort of, all right, I'm going to give this one up. I might get it back. I might not. But I want to put my team in the best position to be successful as I can. And taking 20 shots a game and 16 of them are contested shots aren't putting myself in a, in a really good position here. It's, you know, I know I'm going to be called upon to take these tough shots if, if I'm the best player in the team. But like most of the game, I need to really start getting a good fundamental look at what great shots are. And, and that's a part of player development that I don't, I don't think a lot of people understand or talk about is shot selection and being efficient, you know? Uh, I, I agree with you. I think that's a great um, observation on that in a way, a great way to share it. Um, Mike, I appreciate the time. We're going to have to do this again sometime because honestly, I think we just started scratching the surface on uh, talking about a lot of good basketball topics that hopefully a lot of the listeners uh, gained a lot from. And I think if we do this again sometime in the next couple of months, they're going to learn a heck of a lot more. So I appreciate the time. I wish you nothing but the best of luck, and I love the breakdowns. Thanks, Dan. Hey, anytime you want me on, I'm on. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.